One of the small kids said me, uh, I want to have generator. And, you know, like he said it in such way, uh, so open and uh, it so touched me. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Yellow Van Stories. I'm your host and driver, Bastian. We are so happy and grateful that you have made the time to come on board with us today. We've been waiting just for you and kept your usual seat by the window side. After Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the topic of the second season became very clear to us. We decided to invite Ukrainians into the van to share their stories with us and to learn more about Ukraine's cultural identity because too often it has been appropriated by a Russian narrative. The same narrative that now serves as a pretense to the war. Supporting Ukraine, therefore, in our opinion, has a very strong cultural dimension as well. So buckle up and sit back, because today we're going to meet Andri, who has just returned from Bakhmut. Hello and welcome to the Yellow Van Stories. Here with us today is Andriy Dubchak, a correspondent and photographer from Kiev in Ukraine. I'm very happy to have you with us today, Andriy. Welcome. Uh, hello. Hello, Valeria. Thanks for making taking the time today because I have been following your work online. Uh, we'll get into that. Uh, also your platform, uh, Donbass Frontliner. Um, that does very important work in covering uh, the war, especially in the East, on the Eastern Front, which you have been doing for quite some time. And I can't uh, wait to talk to you about the, your work and, and how important it is as well and get a couple of insights from you. Um, before we do that, I just want to quick, quickly give the listener, listeners a bit of an introduction, what you do, um, so that they also get an idea and also get uh, already maybe some links that they can follow um, along. Um, so here it goes. Um, Andrei Dubchak is a correspondent photographer for Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty, as well as the founder of the interactive media platform Donbass Frontliner. He specializes in telling the stories of soldiers and civilians caught up in the conflict in eastern Ukraine. He received the 2022 Free Media Award from the Frit Ord and Zeit, the German newspaper, um, foundations for his courageous professional reporting from battle zones. Andri also received the Lovey Award for coverage of the Maidan protests in 2014 and a gold medal in the Live Press photo competition in 2020 and many more. Andri has captured the main pivot points of the younger Ukrainian history and I'm thrilled that he has found the time today to join us on the Yellow Band. So welcome aboard, Andri, and thanks for being with us. Thank you, and thank you for interest for Ukraine and uh, for Russian-Ukrainian war, and thank you for help, Western help to Ukraine, to civilian people, to army, and to my country too. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, like we said, leading up to this conversation is my conviction that Ukraine is actually um, fighting a battle that concerns us all, everybody who is um, subscribing to the idea of uh, democracy and freedom, basically. And I think so. We are actually, according to me, in, in Ukraine's debt for, for fighting this war on behalf of all of us. Um, so, you know, no need to thank us, in my opinion, at least. Um, but thank you anyway. 
So I wanted to just quickly um, touch base with you a little bit. Where are you right now? I think you're in Kiev right now, correct? Yep. Uh, right now I'm in Kiev. It's like uh, not uh, uh, my prefer work. Yeah, it's like paperwork and like preparation. So I need to repair the car. Uh, I need to do paperwork. I need to buy uh, some equipment, uh, uh, repair my photo camera. Uh, I need to buy a helmet, new one, and, and so on, so on, so on. So like preparation and uh, logistic is like the same as in the army. One of the main part of the uh, work here. Uh, before, if you are prepared for the frontline trip, you are more safe. Of course, that makes absolute sense. And I do believe uh, you need a lot of... Uh, you constantly have a need of new equipment and stuff because i mean you take it through very rough terrain um obviously in a in a zone of conflict so i imagine that you are on a rotation right from kiev to the front line and back uh, is that how it works yes typically i go to kiev spend here some time uh, made paperwork uh, made preparation and after that i go to the front line but again like uh, equipment And car, it's like very, very important part of the uh, trip. And uh, of course, it's like a very important uh, part of the safety, like personal safety. Because, for example, I have like a four-wheel drive uh, car. And for now, after accident uh, near Bakhmut, when I was under cluster munition shelling, and uh, my car lost uh, three wheels and all glasses, Uh, after that, I have uh, all time with me two additional wheels to like to be safe because when you're stuck on the front line with no wheels, it's like uh, very dangerous. Because for now, modern yes. war is like a war of the drones, and uh, if Russia just saw your car on the road, they need just a few minutes to to shell it. So, uh, car. You you only. And equipment Sorry, is your like, only way. Your only way would then be to abandon the car, basically. If you're stuck there for uh, two, three, four minutes, then the best option for you would just be to to abandon the car and and go uh, without the car, I suppose. Uh, sometimes yes, sometimes not. It depends on the situation, of course. Uh, but like, uh, no, anyway, like car is safety. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I heard about situation when people like a journalist stuck in the mat near the front line uh, and they left the car, yeah. But uh, I had the same situation approximately uh, on the new year, 21-22. It was near Piski. I was with military and it was deep snow. Uh, and I had like previous my car, Skoda Octavia. It's not uh, like uh, four on four. It's like just car for the cities. Uh, and I stuck yeah. in the snow on the potentially dangerous direction. Uh, and uh, uh, we go out from the car, I film it. and uh, But no, thanks to God, like Russia, like didn't see it or or decided like do not shoot and so, so. Then military car uh, arrived and bring out my car from the snow. Okay. Wow. Uh, you know, for me, this is still, to be honest with you, your photography is, uh, is, has brought the, the war in that sense so much closer to me. 
um, over the last few days, I've been looking at some of your images again, and and uh, what really makes them so relatable is you really take pictures, uh, not really of the fighting so much, but of the moments in between, like the humanity of it all, in a way, like like people, like soldiers in dugouts, like the civilians, um, and how it affects them. Um, so I think your photography in that sense is very, very powerful because it really shows the human dimension of it all and not just the technological um, warfare in that sense, which we very often see in media and in the news. Um, so uh, it's very, very valuable for me in that sense. No, my opinion, like every photographer, every reporter, he passes through own like reports, uh, uh, personal relation to the society and to the people. Uh, yeah. you uh, very easily can see like if photographer uh, like uh, low people or don't low so sometimes you can see just like bodies uh, just uh, scared faces and so on uh, I love people and uh, my opinion the war is not uh, bullet it's not uh, uh, artillery it's not tanks the war is uh, firstly it's like people uh, who stand with gun, yeah, from both sides. Uh, of course, I don't have possibility to go to the Russian part because, like, uh, uh, I don't know, they will kill me yes. or, like, bring to prison, yeah, but uh, anyway, like, uh, main part of the my reports is people uh, and uh, people's soul. No, I, I try to show it via photography and via reports, via video. Uh, so it's the main part of the work. Because so I can I can is, also really war, yes war is not only about the death uh, war is also about the life yeah live what no what pe people alive and the main part of the reports it's about people who are alive who survive and who who protect uh, own freedom and own country yes. So I also, at this point, I will really point out and and uh, really emphasize to go and watch um, Donbass Frontliner, uh, your website, um, and I will obviously link to it in the show notes to really take a look at the images and and if you're interested uh, and 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 take a look because it gives it paints a very very good picture and I'm I'm very grateful that you're doing what you're doing, Andre. Um, uh, you you've just um, come back, yes. <laughs> <laughs> website like uh, for now we just start to rebuild again yeah but uh, main part of the photo and main part of the stories you can see on our instagram Donbass frontline yes it's uh english language so it will be easy for yes audience from abroad yeah i link to all of that obviously so that people will have it very easy to find you um so you also just said you've just come back from Bakhmut, right? We are hearing about Bakhmut like every single day and uh, and that uh, Russian troops are advancing apparently. Uh, what? How is the situation? How was your work there over the last few weeks, months? How long were you there actually to start? Uh, no, I was before the, near the Bakhmut last trip. Yeah, I was in Chasivyar, like a villages near Bakhmut. Uh, uh, I, I, I was directly in Bakhmut in December, yeah. So I was for three days. Uh, mm -hmm. and before the Bakhmut, honestly I thought like I saw the war, yeah, because I covered the uh, Russian Ukraine war since like twenty fourteen and uh, uh, Sorry, can I just quickly interrupt you there for just one second? Because I think this is a very important point to make because in in I, I, I realize here in the West a little bit or in the rest of Europe it's it, 
still very often the idea is that the war started now in 2022, but the actual fact is the war started in 2014 um, with a kind of like an, an, an ongoing conflict that was never resolved and then just taken to another level in 2022. Would you agree with that assessment? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, uh, the idea of the Donbass Frontliner project in 2020, it was uh, pay attention to the forgotten war. Because in 2020, we had like 450 kilometers of the front line, trenches, mm. like uh, dozens, thousands of the soldiers in trenches. Uh, every night fight with small arms, uh, sometimes artillery, sometimes tanks, uh, like, and so on, so on, so on. So it was like, uh, my opinion, it was big uh, training center for Russian troops, which like uh, regularly came to this like front line and test own soldier, own commanders and new kind of weapons. Uh, and yeah, uh, in 2021, Uh, it was really forgotten war because uh, my team yes. was probably just one team who worked directly for social networks from the front line. Uh, and then, like, more close uh, to invasion date, of course, like, international media start to arrive to Ukraine and to show situation uh, and possible escalation, like, at that time. But, uh, yeah. unfortunately, 24 of February... Uh, it's like start of mass, mass Russian invasion to Ukraine. But even like before this date, like... Uh, There was an ongoing war on Ukraine. Yes, thousands yeah. and thousands of people die and dozens of thousands was wounded and lost legs, uh, arms, eyes, and so on, so on. So it just new level of the conflict, the invasion. Yes, the, the the reason why I want to point this out also is because uh, th there seems to be this conviction in a way that we can just sit down. I mean, we, you know, like uh, like like all democratic countries basically, and and have negotiations in a way, and then uh, come to some sort of a conclusion. But I think if you take into consideration that this war is an ongoing one since 2014, with now just another push, it puts that also in a different perspective in a way. Um, So I can I can add yeah uh, yeah please add please by all means it's not only like no we talk about Russian Ukrainian war just now but honestly yeah. it was first century yeah uh, Russia yes. stole uh, history of Ukraine like because all Ukrainian kings sit here in Kiev and all of them speak Ukrainian Russia like uh, say for all time Ukrainian language non exist but uh, People who know Russian don't understand Ukrainian and vice versa. People who know Ukrainian, just Ukrainian, uh, they don't understand Russian language. They have different culture, different history. And uh, Russia for century killed Ukrainian. And just in last century, they killed like dozens of the millions of Ukrainian. And uh, especially it was like famine, Volodymyr, when... Uh, yeah. Russia killed like well, Soviet Union killed like approximately four million of the Ukrainian with hunger, uh, and after that was uh, 1937, 1939, when Russian and the Soviet Great Union Terror. like yeah, 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 they killed a lot of shoot a lot of Ukrainian who was smart, uh, the most like uh, best people in the country, and send millions to the Gulag to the prison on the Siberia. And uh, World War II, yeah. During the World War II, Ukraine 
lose the most amount of the population in percentage. So yes, it's like very old, like war and uh, very old the very to each other. Yeah. Yeah, a very old conflict, and uh, and um, and mainly always at the expense of Ukraine, and therefore, you know, one of the reasons for this podcast as well, we have forgotten because of that, because Russian narrative has dominated Ukrainian culture. That Ukrainian culture is very old indeed, older than Muscovy, if you will, for that reason, and uh, and has had a lot of a lot of uh, cultural, um, you know marvels uh, that a lot of the times are just now under the heading of of russian culture um, and russian history so this is one part of of one attempt to free ukrainian culture from that a little bit with your help and all the other ukrainians who are taking part in this podcast which i'm extremely grateful for of course so this is another piece in that in that puzzle today hope and now speaking of culture um Can I just quickly go with you a little bit into before we open up again a little more into the into the photography and what you do? Um, I would like to know from you how you actually got into photography. What what made uh, photography for for you such a, a medium of such interest that you said I want to I want to follow through with this? It's a long story, but I I try to, uh, <laughs> to, to tell it short. I have but a lot of time, about, Andri. Don't worry about me. Yeah, my first education is like uh, uh, mechanic engineering, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. car and like tractors. Uh, after that, like uh, I, 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 I had degree in like network engineering, so IT, so on, so on, so on. And since two zero zero three, yeah, I joined the Radio Free of Radio Liberty uh, as an IT expert. Yeah, like so. Social networks, security, website, programming, databases, and so on, so on, so on. And in 2013, yeah, uh, I was uh, probably just one person uh, who know how to use uh, live streaming device, live view. So it was new All technology right. in 2013. It's for now, like, you can make stream, like, from your mobile and so on. But at that time, it was, like, super new, cool technology from... Uh, some israel company yeah? and we had this device uh and at the day of the beginning of revolution of dignity yeah uh, i was just one person who know how to use this device uh so i decided to go to the maidan to the independent square and uh, i start to film so i became occasionally first streamer of the revolution of dignity and this was that, 2014 I, right uh 2013, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, after that, I stream uh, probably all the most like important part of the Revolution of Dignity. Clashes, fights, and the most bloody day, 18, 19, and 20, on February 2014, when uh, like police and special forces kill a lot of people uh, yes. at the Maidan, yeah. Uh, a lot of and, people fled to the convents there, around there. It was a terrible, terrible day. In, yeah, yes, in, yeah, it was a terrible day. Yeah. It was a terrible video. And I probably even had small PTSD from all of it because it was my first experience when you in real life have like death of the people and died people. Yeah. And uh, after this like uh, story, uh, occasionally I take uh, in my hand like half professional photo camera uh go to the streets and make few photos 
and I made photo of the Anastasia. Uh, after that, she joined the armed forces and fight uh, on the east of Ukraine. Yeah, in first years of the war. Uh, but I was impressed uh, of this like portrait, uh, and uh, I realized the photo photography is like and photo is universal language. Uh, so if even people don't know language, don't know the traditional, uh, have like different uh, skin color. Uh, anyway, the photo is the most like universal language and one of the most powerful language to show the situation. Uh, yes. And in 2014, I decided to be a photographer and start to learn photography. Can I just quickly add here the, the revolution of dignity 2014 for everybody who doesn't know was uh, because Viktor Yanukovych uh, basically sacked decisions to open up towards Europe and turn towards Russia again, right? And this caused a big outcry, public outcry and these demonstrations. So there was already a conflict with Russia there as well that caused this. Completely, I just wanted yeah, to yeah. point yeah, that absolutely. out yes, yeah. for the listeners. Yes. So please carry on, Andri. Sorry. Uh so I decided to learn photography and uh, uh, when I was uh, small, yeah, in, my, in school, uh, I wrote a lot of cartoons uh, and the people <laughs> like, it was very funny. No, so so I, I paint a lot in childhood, yeah. Uh, and when I work at the website of Radio Free of Radio Liberty, uh, I perform function of the Build, build editors, so like I select photo from photo agency, uh, from Reuters, from Associated Press, from uh, AFP, and many, many others. And uh, so for years, I look at the photo of the best photographers in the world. And of course, it's also helped me with uh, this uh, profession, with my choice. So composition, like uh, what is cool, what is not cool. Uh, which photo is good, which photo is bad. For me, it was uh, very easy when I start to to make uh, own photos. So, uh, and then was like uh, in 24, I go to the Crimea and uh, made reports from Crimea about Russian annexation of the Crimea. Yes. Uh, were you on that, Crimea, actually? Were you on Crimea? Because I imagine yeah. Crimea was, you were, so it was still accessible in a way, because now I realize, or I imagine it's not so easy to get there as a Ukrainian, right? On Crimea. No, uh, in 2014, it was like officially Ukrainian. So there yes. was a lot of Ukrainian troops and army and some green, like, peoples, it was Russian, like, special forces appear yeah. and... Uh, so I arrived to Crimea and I was uh, there for one and a half week. And uh, after that, uh, I escaped the uh, peninsula because I was scared and all my team was scared. This uh, special like intelligence service of Russia, which follow us like from time to time. And a uh, few times per day, someone called me and like it was silence in the mobile. So uh it's scaring me much more than like uh, even people who follow us uh and few time per day my I, i got notification from facebook and from gmail like someone uh tried to attack your account and uh, uh so it was like very scary time for me and after yes. that started the uh 
Russian-like uh, secret special operation uh, for liberation of the Donbass. Yeah. Uh, yes. They create like uh, the big propaganda, fi- basically. Yeah, fi- that, that, that like, is yes. Uh, LNR and DNR, like uh, Donetsk People Republic and Lugansk People Republic. Uh, and uh, yeah, I decided to go to the front line and show the work. Uh, and from that time, I probably spent at the front line more than one and a half year in total. Do you remember the, the the moment when you decided that you're going to do this full time now? Um, was there anything that you remember? Was there any special trigger or like the the day you set out to do this and you decided I will do this full time now? Um, it was like long story. Yeah, I remember this day. Yeah, uh, it was like in 2019 uh, during one of our trip to the Donbass to the east of Ukraine. It was in Mariupol, and a very big fight uh, happens between Ukrainian and Russian in uh, in the middle of the front line, like yes, more than two hundred kilometers from from us, from our position. It was like, approximately one thousand five hundred shells in both sides. Uh, at that time, it was a huge escalation. Yeah, so we decided to go and to cover it. And uh, when we arrived, because the road was bad, was Roads was was not straight, so we arrived just maybe like in one and a half day after, and we was the first media, the first reporters who arrived at the place. So I realized the uh, this like conflict uh, really forgotten, and I need to spend uh, my effort uh, to show it to Ukraine and to the world because even in Ukraine, like main part of the society didn't pay attention to this conflict and forgot about him because it was like, no, you, you can imagine like eight years of the front line. So uh, people yeah. was not interested in this subject and uh, to cover the conflict, uh, to cover, to, 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 to show to the to Ukrainian world, I decided to create the Donbass Frontliner project. It was like 2019. Uh, I start uh, to collect money in 2020 and like uh, first trip to the front line with this project was in 2021. Wow. And now if you if you talk to me, I mean, the, the thing is, you know, this is something that I think not everybody can necessarily relate to. Like you put yourself in harm's way, right? Voluntarily, you go to places where people usually run away from. Um, What do you hope to achieve with your photography? What what gives you the motivation to do this? Uh, it's not easy question because you know, like uh, all time people have combination of the motivation. Yeah, so I can say like uh, I'm like Ukrainian and must do it. Maybe the most uh, like main answer. Because I'm interested in this, because the front line uh, all time attract my attention. Because people at the front line, uh, I like I, I like and love people. Yeah. So for me, interesting like behavior of the people. And at the front line, they don't have time to wear the mask because in everyday life, you know, you need to wear a mask, be polite, like uh, smile, so on, so on, so on. At the front line, in dangerous situation, people 
don't have time for it and it's very interesting for me uh, as a for human being yeah and as a of course also for photographer uh, and uh, no of course I'm Ukrainian and I realize uh, at that moment Russia you go ahead like some 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 time uh, and uh, no it's like a lot of combination of the motivations uh, so interesting for me i i may i i i can make it like really good and in high quality uh i am ukrainian and uh it's probably one of the way to protect ukraine from russia and from future invasion at the time i i thought about it like as about protection from uh invasion in the future so So it is it is about creating awareness of course I think that's uh, that's that's also quite quite obvious that this is yes, what information yes. does but but this other part of your answer is something that I find very interesting because the way that I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong for you there is a, a human layer in during war or at war times that is otherwise very often um overlaid by the other layers of our civilized life right and it's going right to the core of human existence in a way am i am i understanding yes, that right yes. and, and yes, this is fascinating course. obviously for yes, you yes yes it's uh and it's probably the uh most important part of the world because as i said uh the gun the shells the again bullets just like something yeah just like things but uh core of this war yeah core of this like fights it's like people with a gun uh they soul brain and motivation so we need to show it to audience in ukraine and abroad yes. why ukrainian like for now more strong than russian it's not because we have like better gun it's not we, we don't have gun enough now yeah and russia have much more gun but at the same time the uh, people's soul is like strong and we want to fight because it's our home our freedom uh it's our country so uh yes the most interesting part in all conflict in my opinion is people could you then also say that you want to um and i'm not trying to put words in your mouth right so correct me if i'm wrong but because you're talking about ukrainians and i feel there is a strength and you want to show that strength also of the ukrainian spirit um to to motivate the rest of ukraine the rest of the world to 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 fall behind that spirit to to show that in order to support your cause as well could i could i say that yes uh, of course like is that what uh, you're looking uh, for also in these images yeah. the strength you know of of, yeah. of people uh strength of the people uh, because uh, really when you uh when you arrive to the some places sometimes you really like scared sometimes you you try to escape this uh, like locations these trenches this position but at the same time the just ukrainian men and like women it's not like professional fighters it's people who yeah. who took like a gun in hand just maybe a few months ago and uh, i'm like scared uh, at the same time they are so scared but they brave because they stand and they fight Uh, and they realize like they protect like Ukraine from the Russian. Yes. 
I, I, I see that also in your images. It, it's, it's very evident that you see there are a lot of young people also, women, men, like you just said, that are just have quit their usual jobs and are now, um, you know, fighting on the front line to protect Ukraine from this, uh, this war of aggression and invasion from, from Russia. Yeah, no, before the invasion, uh, we can... Uh, we can talk like like we have like military and we have civilian part in Ukraine, uh, but now I think it's like very hard to divide civilian and military because like uh, yesterday uh, ice cream like sailor or like I don't know like taxi driver now they are part of the Ukrainian army. Uh, someone of them like decide to be volunteer. Uh, someone of them like just uh, get like conscript conscription call from government and go to the army. No, but anyway, the army and uh, society now it's like one big organism, one big like uh, body. Yeah. It it has been molded together by the sheer outside force, I I believe also of 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 the Russian invasion, of course, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Um. Now, what for we? I, I would like to go back to to Bahamut a little bit with you because you said you've just been there. and We have it all over the news at the moment. Uh, what is what is your assessment there um, at the moment? What what is going on? Uh, for now, Bahamut like is half in circle, uh, and uh, my personal opinion: Ukrainian army need to go out. Because typically the defense line to go out, you mean more. retreat, like go back or go yes, out? Yes, go, yes, yes, retreat. Yes, yeah, retreat. Uh, because uh, uh, for now, a lot of losers, and uh, Russia have domination with artillery uh, and with all type of weapons in Bakhmut. Uh, so to save people lives, to protect like uh, from unnecessary losers. Ukrainian army, in my opinion, must uh, step back in these like fights, because uh, for Russia it's just like uh, information adventure. It will be information victory, but at the same time, mm -hmm. Ukraine can save like hundreds and thousands of people uh, if if we step back in this battle. Uh, yeah. No, it's my personal opinion because I spent there three days, and you know, yeah. like before the Bakhmut, uh, as I said. Uh, I thought I saw the war. No, like Bakhmut is like really World War II in like uh, most war scenarios because uh, first day it was fog, it was rain, and uh, uh, I can hear the explosion uh, in the city like every like five seconds approximately. But next two days it was like sunny uh, and uh, Russian drones probably fly in the sky and. Uh, Every second you hear explosion. Every second, uh, at different distances, like uh, far from you, like more close, the building like next to you, the building behind you. So it's like one second, one explosion. One second, one explosion. One second, one explosion. Cluster munition, shells, mortar, uh, uh, sometimes missiles, sometimes air strikes. So it's no, it's it's really horror, and. Uh, no, it's really scary. And uh, uh, how how does it affect you? I mean, if you say that you haven't seen anything like this now, I mean, uh, because 
you know, I've been I've been in some situations, nothing like this. But by all means, this is not a comparison, nothing like this. But I know when I've been in situations of of such duress and 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 terror, like you just said, um, even though I'm not even really sure what that means after you've just explained this, um, you have uh, you take something away from it. You you it, it's like you leave a part of yourself there in a way, right? And there is some sort of uh, um, you know, it takes a psychological toll. How how do you cope with that? Uh, no, I realized I need to do report, yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, I was very, like, careful. Uh, and one time I reject one of the trip to the very dangerous part of the city. Uh, but at the same time, I was uh, in other very dangerous part of the city. And the scene I saw, the picture I saw, it was uh, one of the most, like, uh, horror and like incredible in my life. Uh, we go with funeral team to take out the body of the civilian uh, who was killed by uh, Russian airstrike. We arrive at the place and I realize that I saw the Russian position uh, like maybe in one kilometer from me from this uh, street. Street was completely destroyed by airstrike. It was just like bricks and woods uh, and uh, the locals who escape the undergrounds uh, start to scream like go out from here no i realized they was in shock here yeah? uh, but at the same time i realized it's like very dangerous place uh, and if i will stuck here i will die yeah so uh, i made just maybe two pictures through the uh, windshield glass uh, turned back my car and escaped this like location because it was really dangerous. And uh, no, I was under many type of weapon like fire. I was under heavy machine gun fire, under sniper fire. Thanks to God, not very many professional sniper. Uh, I was under uh, direct mortar attack, direct cluster munition attack. Uh, and uh, after all these cases, uh, you need to be very careful with your reports. Uh, and I realized sometimes uh, you need to stop yourself and uh, do not go ahead because, like, you have one life and uh, no one picture in the world not cost your life. So uh, in Bakhmut, I was very careful. I made report and I escaped it. And uh, it was in December, end of December, yeah. Uh, but uh, last time when I was in that uh, part of the country, uh, we decided do not go to the Bakhmut because it was very dangerous first. And second, what you can film there. So you'll be just driving through the city with no mobile network, with no information, and with unpredictable result of the photography and videography. Uh, because people typically uh, hide in the underground and you need to find this underground. And like, no, it was like, it was unnecessary risk to do report from the Bakhmut uh, in such condition, like, no, one week ago. So, and but and then but you must also carry that shock. I mean, like everybody gets shocked, right? I mean, if you if you find yourself uh, in that, like, yes, is I, that... I was shocked. Yeah, but no, again, like uh, it's not my first experience with artillery and fights. Uh, yes. but I can I can I can say like day number three, uh, I was so scary. Uh, so I can I can't make photo and video. I just like smoke. <laughs> <laughs> smoke, smoke inside the buildings, 
and Russia shell all around us. And uh, the guy who stand with me in one of the buildings said, we have like, uh, it's like good building, but we have just a wooden floor, you know, like old time, old, old, old school. Yes. So it was not, not concrete, just wood. Uh, and, uh, no, I realize if mortar or shell uh, will hit this building, uh, all, of you, all of us will be dead, like, or wounded. Uh, so... And- But then if you if you're in this situation now this is something and I, that's why I, I still like follow through with this a little bit like if you go through this like the first instinct is to get away from that but you stay and you keep reporting um maybe not this time but you will go back this is what you do like how where do you find that strength where do you find that conviction Uh, is it in your private uh, life? Is it is it like what, or is it just because the cause for you is so strong and so valuable that you don't even question it anymore? Uh, it's a very hard question. Sometimes, sometimes I ask uh, my own the same question, and uh, I don't have a clear answer. You know, like it's again a lot of like a lot of answers. So uh, I'm professional in it. Uh, I had an experience. Uh, probably I know the situation. Probably not. Uh, it's my country. Uh, I need to show it. A lot of people like uh, brought me a very good words about my work, so I realized it's important and uh, it, it helped to Ukrainian. Sometimes it helped to real people, to civilian, to children. Uh, it's bring help and donation for them. Uh, so. How can I stand away from from so big like fights of my country uh, for freedom for no one year like when the invasion started it was Ukrainian language teacher uh, young woman like 30 years who took uh, AK just first day in her hand she said like a uh, very interesting phrase for me we just want to live in our country. Uh, no, when when I ask her why do 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 you decide to take the gun in hand, uh, we just want to live in our country. It's like big answer to 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 very many questions. Really. Yes, I think the emphasis lies on your country, right? Nobody else's country, but uh, yourself, determined, independent country that is free to choose as as you all wish yeah and you know like when i was in crimea during the annexation in 2014 uh i feel like real pain from freedom of speech like yeah for many of us it's like just words yeah uh and uh, before the crimea for me it also was just like some words freedom of speech yeah? but uh when i saw all this like uh behavior of the russian Uh, the this like crime and this like unhonest situation, uh, and I realized in the same moment uh, if I told someone something wrong, at least they will beat me, uh, and they can can kill me just because I I I I I say the truth, I said the truth, yeah. So uh, it was like real life physical pain for me when I can't say what I want. Yeah. So freedom of speech for me, yes. it was like, uh, it, it's like very important. And I realize 
uh, if Russia gets Ukraine, uh, me and people around me will be just slaves. There's no rights. Uh, there's no freedom of speech. There's no freedom of movement. Uh, and uh, potentially a lot of people will die just because they uh, do not fight now. It was, it's, in history, we have a lot of cases. The same like famine, 32, 33. The same like uh, Gulag prison. The same 1937 shooting of the people, mass killing, uh, and so on, so yeah. on, so on. Uh, so sometimes to protect uh, your life, uh, maybe well, you need to fight really hard because because just just one way you can give up and because you realize after that you will believe uh, first one in the horror uh, in the fake country with fake peoples uh, and at the same time you will lose your dignity. Yeah, and no, that's all. No, the dignity is very important part of the this fight for Ukrainian. I think that is a that is a very strong point to make. Yes, it is. I think, and you, you, and Ukraine has shown uh, for a lot lot of time now, for a long time. I and mean, if if you look at the you know young history of Ukraine, there have been three Maidans, and uh, it it also shows how how much power there is in Ukrainian democratic movements. Um, so this is is uh, absolutely a, a continuation of what has already been happening for now almost uh, 30 years, 35 years almost. Um, yeah. I would like to it, ask it, you because, yes, yes, sorry, sorry, Andre. Uh, it, it was not like very fast like uh, process here yeah, when uh, this like civil society. Is it ever? No, of course not. Yeah, yes, yes. yeah. But uh, no, again, we had Few revolution, uh, and uh, for now we have really amazing civil society. People who took part in all this revolution in uh, first years of the war, and now join the uh, armed forces or help to army in uh, all possible way. It's like amazing. It's like huge, like body of the people connected to each other and who really know uh, and trust each other. So it's like yes. huge network inside country which help Ukraine to survive. There is a common cause. I think that's, and, and I think this common cause is also making the difference uh, while you are fighting a war against an enemy that is actually, uh, has a lot more manpower, has a lot more equipment, has a lot more money, has a lot more of everything, but Ukraine is, is putting up a fight because the cause is, in my opinion, of course, but I think for a lot of people, the better one. So, uh, and I hope for all people, the better cause. Um, you are also, as a photographer, you are a keeper of stories, right? This is this is what what we do. I, I like to name myself as well because I also do photography. And um, so, um, you know, photographers are the keepers of stories. Is there any particular story that you think back of now over the last couple of months that really touched you, that, that stayed with you, that's very difficult to shake off? Uh, yes, I have a few such stories. Uh, some of them was published, some of them not yet, uh, but will be. Uh, one of the stories like children from Bakhmut. Uh, I go to the like uh, some like food point and hitting point, and saw the family, uh, husband, wife, and three small children. Like uh, 
8, 12, and 14 years. Uh, and I decided to follow them to his house. Uh, it was like underground. Uh, they live in such condition for a few months, under shelling, uh, under, without water, without like proper food, without proper heating. Uh, and uh, it's really impressed me. Because when I start to talk uh, with them about the situation uh, and uh, what children want to Christmas, uh, one of the small kids said me, uh, I want to have generator. And, you know, like he said it in such a way, uh, so open. And uh, it so touched me because, you know, like in this century, in modern like world, uh, kids uh, don't want, uh, like, I don't know, Barbie, don't want ice cream. Uh, yes. At that moment, they really, like, want to have generator just to play maybe PC, you know, notebook, some games. But, uh, no, it's re- really, really touched me at that moment. And thanks to God, uh, these, like, kids escaped the city and now they live near Kiev. Uh, and uh, I tried to collect some money for them, like to help the family. Uh, and this uh, story have like a uh, happy end, yeah. Uh, the, other, the other interesting story, also the same Bakhmut. Uh, we follow the funeral team, and uh, at some moment I realized these guys uh, who was performed before it. Uh, Communal like city cleaning uh, service, and uh, uh, they just joined this like funeral team because someone need to do it. Someone need to take out body and uh, put it to the cemetery, yeah, to the graves. Uh, this guy don't have bulletproof vest, and they go through all this city under shelling in like very old car with, without bulletproof, without helmets. Uh, and uh, I also was impressed with and I started to collect uh, money for them. We bought bulletproofs, we bought helmets. And uh, like a few days after, uh, one of these guys wrote to me and said, thank you, man, uh, you saved my life today with your bulletproof. Uh, I just... Uh, molded in my hand. Uh, your helmet saved the life uh, of my friend. Uh, unfortunately, the man number three got uh, wounded in stomach and now he's in the hospital. No, but anyway, you know, like it's sometimes you can help not even to show yes. the situation. Sometimes you can help to the people with something real, with uh, bulletproofs, like with money, with toys for children. Uh, and so on, so on. Uh, every trip have own story, uh, have own pain, have all, own impression. But I really like travel a lot, so all my impression, like uh, the all time arrive new one impression, and you don't remember the impression of previous because it's like yes. all time rush, and you have very many like around you, and so. Yes, we, we have few few stories from last trip. Yeah. 
you know, we are all, I think, a collection of all the stories we hear, including ourselves in a way. I think that's what, what human beings really are in a way. So um, you, you obviously are a large collection of those. Um, and um, and and that that's a very touching story. Also, that you know that it can make such a difference. One bulletproof vest can make such a difference. One helmet can make such a difference. I think sometimes we don't stop and realize that really this one piece of gear equipment can save someone's life, a real person's life, right? Um, yes, and yes. I, I think this story is that brings that home very, very clearly um, and it touches me also. And I'm sure for you, that must be an amazing, um, yeah, an amazing memory uh, to have achieved that with just collecting vests and helmets. Um, thank you for sharing those stories, Andri. I think you would have so many more of those and maybe we will actually come back at some point. And, uh, but actually having said that, This is, a, this is a good moment also to maybe make the move over to Donbass Frontliner where you collect all these stories, where people can go and read them. So would you care to just give us a bit of an overview what the idea of Donbass Frontliner is and what, uh, what it set out to do? Uh, the idea of Donbass Frontliner, it's like reporters media, it's like not analytics, uh, it's not like uh, news, it's like true reporting from the place. Uh, where our reporters is present at this moment. Uh, true reporting, uh, and of course, like this uh, information about the war for Ukrainian audience and for international audience. Uh, and a uh, big part of the project, it was like help to Ukrainian media and to international media to show the conflict. Uh, I have all time a lot of call, a lot of messages from Uh, big uh, international media from uh, freelancer and so on, so on, so on. And uh, uh, I try to help them all with like information, with access, with stories and so on, so on, so on. And also one of the part uh, I realized like we're not big media. Yeah. For now we have just uh, two teams who can go like somewhere uh, If we can't cover the subject, uh, we need just to highlight it and show to other big media, which uh, after that will do like big report about it. Uh, so I can only recommend like, going there because I've gotten a lot of information from there lately. Uh, I have looked it up and as, as I said, the stories are, are very important because I do believe especially the stories that are kind of aside from the, you know, the mainstream of, of media coverage, I think they are, are very, very important um, to, to hear because they give war a, a human face. And I think we will, we should yeah, never forget yeah. that there is, it's not numbers. It's not that we hear that there's 100 people dead in a day or 200 people dead in a day. Uh, it becomes numbers at some point. And we have to realize and remember every single number is one life that is lost. A life that has a family, children, lovers, parents that mourn for the loss of this one person. And I think in what you are doing, this is something that uh, makes sure that people do also see that side and understand that this is a side of the war that may never be forgotten. Uh, yeah, the best way to show situation is like uh, to show someone personal like life at the front line. Uh, 
so it's important. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would like to ask you, um, if I may, and tell me if I'm if I'm overstepping a line, and and you you know absolutely no problem. But I would also like to um, just ask you. Because doing what you do, it also must affect your private life. Obviously, I had the I had the the the, the luck of having been in, in communication with your wife, who is fantastic, amazing woman. Um, greetings on this end here as well. Again, thank you for taking care of the back end of things a little bit. Um, how is um, how 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 is it for 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 your wife to to see you go and put yourself in harm's way in return? I'm sure that must be very difficult. Is it something you get used to, or is it is it something that's that's also just very difficult uh, for for you guys? Uh, it's no about private life. Uh, you don't have time for it, like often, uh, really. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I haven't seen my parents maybe for five months, something like this. Uh, and with my wife, we meet uh, also not very often. For example, uh, we haven't we haven't seen each other for for one month yet. Uh, but at the same time, Lisa like now is part of the project. Uh, she became a manager, and uh, she also worked for other big media. Uh, like uh, NBC News, when the war started uh, in Kharkiv, New York Times, Helsing Sanamat, and she have now really huge experience, uh, and uh, she now very very helpful for the project. And without without her, like uh, a lot of things not 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 possible now. So a lot of compliment to my wife. Uh, deservedly so yeah i love her but unfortunately of course like all these reports all these trips like uh take away me from her for a long period of time yes from family from my three cats and from kiev so it's like sad story but at the same time i realize i need to do it yeah okay well Again, from my side here, just to point it out again, thank you to Lisa again for for making you know preparing this today. Uh, she did a, she did a great job with that. Always very much available. Um, so thank you again. Um, yeah, I, I see that you guys though with all this difficulty have found a way of of turning it into a collaboration, into something that you both share, and most probably this is also something that uh, that helps. I suppose that you both feel the need to do it. Yes, but uh, no. At the same time, I realize we, all of the Ukrainian journalists, and especially me, we have like very big professional deformation. Uh, for example, not so many time ago, I was at the funeral. Uh, it was like killed Ukrainian soldier. Uh, all people like cry around me, and uh, I just stand. You know, like I didn't feel like nothing. No, I. I just, it was just body so so uh i don't know why but sometimes i cry sometimes i do not feel nothing because uh well, maybe the brain uh wants to defend yourself from all this like scary story from ptsd from stress and uh you just like do not feel nothing sometimes 
So professional deformation very big. Uh, and at the same time, uh, I have now a story. Uh, the reporter uh, from the United States, uh, Stephanie, came to Kiev to film other work, to film the situation in Ukraine. And uh, she was here just for two days. And in the morning, uh, she called to Lisa and said, like, I decided to escape the country because I'm too scary about the situation, about this uh, airstrike alarm and uh, about the horror of the war, even in Kiev. Like, for us, Kiev, it's, like, completely safe place, yes. you know, like, yeah. So it just, you know, for me, it's, like, deep, deep and far, far from the front line. It's, like, for me, like, I feel completely safe, me here. But uh, people who arrive from, like, United States, from European Union, Sometimes they're really scary and uh, they uh, see horror uh, around. So professional deformation, I can say, is very big. And uh, we're stuck in this like period of the war. Uh, and so it's just, uh, just fact. Yeah. Yes. Um, I would like to ask you uh, something because knowing the, the front line, like this is... This is um... You know, I think it's important because I do hear, look, I'm German, right? So for me, um, arms and, and war has always been something that I have tried to see as a thing as the of the past, right? Even though I know, like, you know, there have been wars going on in the world. I mean, I'm not naive, but, but like for personal involvement, because of the terrible history of Germany, also the atrocities that were committed uh, in, in the name of, of Germany and so on and so on, there has been a very big distance. So I do, I'm just saying this because I want to make sure that everybody understands as well that I, I, I understand that people are calling for a stop to arm Ukraine, we shouldn't sell weaponry and so on and so on because it it uh, it will just uh, cause, a, you know, increase the conflict potential and so on and so on. I just don't believe that that is the right way to do it because we would be leaving Ukraine alone during a fight that Ukraine are fighting for, our, for ourselves. Now, I'm being a little suggestive uh, with my question, but what would you say to people that say that armaments should be stopped to Ukraine Uh, so that there can be negotiations. What what would you answer then? Uh, we had uh, a lot of examples in history. For example, the World War II. Yeah, and uh, uh, in '41, the Soviet Union had so many guns, so many tanks, so many jets near the Polish border. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, so a lot of historians said uh, Germany decided to attack first to prevent attack of the Soviet Union. Uh, so if if Russia, if Soviet Union, if like Russian Federation, uh, it's like the same for me. Yeah, catch Ukraine, uh, it will be not stop of the explosion. It will be just one part of the explosion. So, uh, example of the LNR and DNR territory, it's Ukraine, yeah, but it was like captured by Russia in 2014. Uh, for now, what Russia, what Russia do? They took all men from this territory, give them gun and like send to the Ukrainian position. 
like a meat, you know. The same will be with Ukraine if Russia catch it. And uh, in my opinion, uh, the main target in uh, 2022 was not Ukraine by the plan. Yeah? It was like Europe, but Russia just stuck now in Ukraine. So if, uh, if like, we will be without gun, if we, like, lose this conflict, and uh, if we will be under Russian Federation, uh, it's like uh, just start of the story. So Russia will go ahead to some European country. Uh, no, and anyway, it will affect, like, all European Union. No, it's my position and uh, my personal position. So, and I and I agree with you. I agree with you. Yes. And even even now, really, like I, I, I am not like very sure we will win because, uh, like, hundreds of thousands of Russian troops now is like prepared and waiting somewhere in the east and at the south of Ukraine to uh, invade the new territory and to kill Ukrainian and to get Ukraine. So we need to fight. Uh, and maybe even fight more strong than before because like no big big another one big escalation another one big invasion is ahead and uh, i can predict when it will happens but uh, anyway russia like have uh, enough of resources for it yeah. so uh, we need gun we need shells we need bullets and we need like help for civilian who trying to survive because it's like horror story for millions and millions of people. The United Nations uh, have official statistics. Uh, for now, Ukraine have 8 millions of re refugees. Yeah? And uh, yeah. total population of Ukraine, the, the sociolog sociologists like, say it's like 36 million people. So you can imagine. Just refugee, 8 million of the people. I, I, you know what you said. I think that's that's something I agree with that entirely. I think it's a question of whether we make this story stop in Ukraine now, or whether it continues and it will move on further throughout Europe, other parts of Europe, Moldavia, Georgia, and so on and so on. Um, yes. I think this is the question, and if we don't provide any more armaments, this will go on. So with as sad as it makes me that this is necessary, um, according to, to mine and also your opinion, I think there is no other option but to do as much as we can, um, as long as we can, to support the fight of Ukraine. And I think yes. that's a very important point to make also. Um, and obviously there will be a lot of argument about this, uh, but still, this is our point. I believe your point and my point as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's my point. Uh and you're probably, uh, if you will uh, talk about the war in past, uh, in 2013, I also yeah. thought the war not possible in my country at all. Yes. At all. And if someone will tell me in 2013, uh, you will have war with Russia like next year, and you will have all this like bullshit, like war now, butcher, pin, Kharkiv, like missile strike, and so on, yes. so on, so on. Like, no, I said probably to him, like, you are crazy. So, but uh, we must realize uh, Russia is like very dangerous and like big animal and we need to fight it. Yes, I, I am in full agreement with you there. Um, 
I I would like to. These are my closing questions, basically already, Andre. Um, just so you can plan your time a little bit. Um, you know, according with these are the questions I kind of ask all my guests. Um, and it's, it's always interesting to hear for me. So because for me, Ukraine is also an amazing nation building project, right? There are, I mean, you know, in every country there are you know, problems that have to be addressed and to be overcome. But at the same time, I also believe Ukraine is a country where democracy has really um, deserved its name in a way, because as I said earlier, three Maidans, right? That was the sheer force of public opinion that took to the street and actually turned politics around. Um, yeah. So this is possible. So Ukraine, I look up to Ukraine just for that alone, right? This is an amazing achievement to me. So. And this is something we all need to protect in all of Europe, I believe, because this is the exact essence of who we are and who we want to be. We're not always that, but we want to be that. So having that in mind, what do you think, according to you, what can the rest of Europe do to support Ukraine, aside from armaments that we just discussed? What else do you think is important for Europe to support Ukraine? Uh, interesting question. Uh, well, Ukrainian like civil society is very interesting aspect, and uh, you need to support uh, civil society in Ukraine anyway. Uh, and uh, no, I don't know. Maybe like investment in future after war, <laughs> because uh, Ukraine have a lot of like really good experts in uh, many like. Uh, in IT, you know, for example, Ukraine now sales banking system and government build uh, the DIA. It's like uh, electronic government. You can vote there. Uh, you can have all your documents there in your mobile. Uh, and uh, uh, hard question, really. No, now you think like I, 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 I thought all time just about gun, about help to civilians about refugee, about education. Yeah, of course. Of course. Like it's education. a multi-layered question, of course. It's a, it's a multi-layered yeah. question. Yes, education is always, uh, yes, always, uh, should always be right on top. Uh, yeah, I, to I just want, to, I, I just want Ukraine will be open for Europe and for all world. And like Ukrainian like students and Ukrainian children can go to any other country. And uh, the same like uh, the kids and the students from uh, Europe Union uh, will came to Ukraine and share experience because uh, kids and children it's future and we need to pay a lot of attention to it to, uh, to their life to, to education and to connection between Europe and Ukraine yes education yeah education education that 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 is true that holds true for 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 every every single country in the world um yeah. absolutely i i agree um and what if i ask you personally now you know exact you know so well what is going on in ukraine right now because you're there you see you see the actual um imagery the the actual life reality of war like from so close up just like hardly anyone does who is not fighting right if you see all of that what is your hope for the future of ukraine of course that the war ends as soon as possible that's all our hope um but after that what is your hope um for for the future of ukraine uh successful uh rich 
good educated country uh, with great like civil society uh, and uh, the future of this country will con- control not like someone like Putin or like any other person uh, it will be controlled by civil society uh, and because Ukraine is like a small baby for now we can instead to rebuild the technology and instead to rebuild the process we can get the best experiences from the world and like build a you know, really new one uh, and yeah for now all Ukrainians know what does it mean like uh, costs of freedom uh, so I hope I hope after the war, when Ukraine win, if Ukraine win, I don't want to say it, but anyway, like we have possibility to lose. Uh, we will have really great civil society, which will control all aspects of the country life, of the like, yeah, of the Ukrainian life, economy life. Yes. Medicine. Have you military? Have you thought about what you would do if this war comes to an end? And like I said, as soon as possible, hopefully. What you would do? Yes. What would you do? What would you do? What? How would that change? What would that change for you? I will do the same. I will do reporting about people around me, about about people's soul, about people's lives. But uh, just without gun, like it will be villages, it will be like uh, towns, cities, like organization uh, and movements. No, so uh, it will be the same, just in a peaceful life. Wow! Can I just? I just have to say quickly because for anyone who's listening to this only, when I asked this question, Andre's face lit up. It was just like, just the idea of taking pictures just of village life or life in Ukraine without a gun, like you said, you just, you were starting to glow. And it just, that alone shows like what a, what a dream that is for you and how it makes you feel. It was wonderful to see your face light up like that, Andre. Yep. You know, like I hate war and uh, I just uh, saw it because it happens in my country. I had suggestions from other journalists to go to Syria, to Afghanistan, to Nagorno-Karabakh, but I rejected because uh, I don't know languages, uh, I don't know society rules, uh, and uh, I'm not interested in wars. Yeah, uh, I show this war just because it happened in my country. Yes. At this point, usually I ask um, for my guests to recommend a, a website or something that people can donate money to, right? Um, in this case, I will not because I will just tell people to go to the website of Donbass Frontliner, who I will link to, and donate all the money that they have to you because we just learned that that money can be a bulletproof vest, it can be a helmet, it can be a whole lot of other causes that really help people directly affected by the war. So um, in this particular case, just go to Donbass Frontliner, follow the link. Um, and you will find what you're looking for. When are you going back? How long are you in Kiev for now, um, Andre? Uh, yeah, probably one, one week more. Like, I need to do paperwork. Uh, need to buy some equipment. As I said, like, um, in, a, in one week, maybe. 
I will go, I do not decide yet, or like east of Ukraine, Donbass, like Kramatorsk region, or I will go to Zaporizhia direction because near Zaporizhia for now, like a lot of rumors, a lot of Russian troops. Mm. It's like a very hard, accessible direction for the reporters. Uh, for Ukrainian reporters, uh, it's like some easier to get access, and I know some friends, some troops, so maybe uh, I will, 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 will get access. No, anywhere frontline. I, and I can safely say, I think we wish you all the best for that. Uh, you know, all the safety and that you return safely also again from there to Kiev. Um, and that the dream of a free and democratic Ukraine that is not at war with Russia will come to life soon, very, very, very soon. And that is the hope that I have. And I think that everybody who listens to this has. So Andri, thank you so much for you, being on the yellow van today. It was an incredibly insightful uh, conversation with you. Keep on doing what you're doing. You are doing an amazing job and, um, and, and all the best from me and all of us here. Thank you, Bastian, and thank you all for support of Ukraine. Uh, it, it's, it's really a help to Ukraine because without Western help, we lose Ukraine like many months ago. So, thank you. And this brings us to the end of this week's ride in the yellow van. Thank you so much for coming along with us today. And thank you, Andri, for your trust in me and the work we do at Mind the Bump Productions, for your stories and for your insights. For more, follow Donbass Frontliner on Instagram, Facebook and on the web. Links are in the show notes. If you are a Ukrainian and would like to come on the show or if you know someone who should, please don't hesitate to contact us. We are always happy and grateful for anyone reaching out to us on www.yellowvanstories.com where you can also leave us your general feedback or ideas for improvements. And maybe, with a bit of luck, the Yellow Van might broadcast from Ukraine in the not-so-distant future. We are already contemplating our options for making this possible, so stay tuned. We hope to welcome you back next week for a new episode with the filmmaker Anastasia Sancharovska. And until then, keep loving in the face of fear and stand with Ukraine. Take it away, Jim. You